Amen. Thank you, Gabby. I think on Family Sunday, Doug decided, uh, I'll just have my kid that's almost taller than Eric stand up and pray for him. Doug said, you know, Eric, if you shave your beard, it'd look like a kid was preaching on Sunday. No, he didn't say that. Uh, but it's true. Good morning, City Light. Uh, I am excited to be here this morning. It's a beautiful Labor Day weekend and an incredible day to dig into God's Word together. That's what we're going to do. We're going to finish our series on our church's core values today. Uh, they are the values that shape who we are and guide what we do together as a church. We use four little words to rem remind ourselves of our core values. They are down, up, in, and out. And three out of four times I've asked you to say them. Uh, oh, we got the kids in the room. Let's do it today. Let's say our core values together. What are you saying with me? They are down, up, in, and out. You got it. Good job. All right. If you've ever been part of strategic planning for like an organization or a project, um, you know it doesn't always come out gold, right? Like strategic planning, identifying your core values, your mission and your vision, that kind of stuff. If you've ever been part of it, it doesn't always come out gold. Sometimes it feels like those things are just cobbled together. Throw, uh, put together, thrown on a shelf, and they don't actually impact what you do. Sort of reminds me of the Huskers halftime game plan adjustments in week zero, right? Although, I'll, I'll admit it, the Hawkeyes' whole game um, this weekend looked like it was just thrown together, you know? Sometimes the plan just doesn't work out. It looks like it could have used a little more thought or intent. But when strategic planning is done well, and thought and intention are put into it, and it's not just cobbled together, then things like your mission and your visions and your, your vision and your values, they actually do shape culture. They actually do inform decisions. They actually do guide activities. And that is what we want to have happen here. We have put a lot of prayer and intent into these core values that we review these four weeks as we kick off the fall. We want them to guide and shape who we are. Now, we didn't pick down, up, in, and out because they fit into a clever, easy-to-remember structure, although that's helpful. We picked them because they are core values of Scripture. They are themes that we see running all throughout God's Word. Down is the gospel, the good news that God comes down to us. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see God coming down to his people. Up is what we call spiritual formation. It's the work of God in his people to make us more like him, more like the people we were designed to be. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see God at work in his people as we look up to him. In is community. It's, it's the way that God binds us together as part of his family, his body, his kingdom. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see God drawing people into himself. And out then is mission. 
It's God sending out his people to make the gospel known among the nations, across the world. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see God himself going out and sending his people out for the same purpose. These are our core values because they are scripture's core values, all right? And so I thought maybe I'd start with this. Years ago, I enrolled in a theological training program called Porterbrook. And there's one module that really stuck with me. It was called Reading God's Story. And this module simply highlighted themes that run through Scripture. Promises of God that carry on from the beginning to the end. Promises that weave through the 66 books that kind of unify them and, and bring them together. And, and uh, it hit me. These, these promises of God that weave throughout Scripture aren't hidden in the Bible like Waldo in a Where's Waldo book, right? Like hiding, just waiting for us to find him and we got to dig deep to see it. That's not how they're, how they're uh, put in scripture. Instead, these promises of God weave through scripture sort of like signs on an interstate, that tell us where we're going. Like, for example, if you uh, got on the interstate just out here um, and headed toward Des Moines, you would see a sign like this. Um, yep, that, uh, that fuzzy picture came from Google Maps. If you got on the interstate, you would see this sign and it would tell you, hey, you are headed to Des Moines. And along the way, you're going to pass Underwood. If you need to stop there and get gas or beef jerky, um, you'll go past that. You're 122 miles from your destination, so keep going. You're on your way. And these promises of God kind of keep showing up in Scripture saying, hey, you are on your way to the destination. Here's what you're going to pass. Here's how you're going to see me at work. So keep your eyes open and keep going. I'm doing something. We're on a mission together. We're headed in the same direction. So we're going to do, uh, uh, Zach did an English lesson. We're going to do an Old Testament, maybe whole Bible uh, history survey this morning. All right? <laughs> Yes, I like that response. All right, look, we're not, usually I do like one verse or two. We're gonna do a slew of verses today to track through the history of the Bible and see these signs along the road that say the heart of God is a heart for mission from Genesis to Revelation, all right? Uh, this is too long of an intro. We gotta get in, we got a, a path to travel. So we're gonna start at the very beginning because that's a very good place to start. In Genesis chapter one, the Bible says this, God tells his people, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So if you look at the very first page of your Bible, you're going to see that God created man and woman in his image. And as image bearers, his image bearers, he gives them an instruction or a direction or a command. The very first command he gives to his image bearers is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so God is saying, listen, I have made you to bear my image and there will not 
always only be two image bearers of mine on the earth. There will not always only be just a few of you doing this in my creation. No, instead, multiply and fill the earth. This rocky ball is meant to show the image of God from the highest mountain to the lowest valley, from the most densely populated city to the most remote village. We are supposed to bear the image of God and take his glory across the globe. And we see it on page one. Are you with me? All right. Next sign on the road. We're going to see that actually... Humans, we humans didn't take that command very seriously. We rejected God right away. On uh, just a few pages later, as uh, there begin to be enough people on earth to form primitive groups and nations, they already reject God's command. This is Genesis chapter 11. The Bible says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The audacity, (laughs) right? These guys literally say their goal is exactly the opposite of what God has commanded them to do. You see it? God said, multiply and fill the earth. What did the people say? Hey, we're going to build a city and a tower so we can stay here and not be dispersed over the face of the earth. God said, you bear my image and it's supposed to go throughout all creation. And what do they say? Hey, if we build this city and this big tower, we'll make a name for ourselves. Not the glory of God's name, the glory of our name. Instead of scattering to make God's name great, they gathered to make their own name great. The earliest nations rejected God's command. Thank goodness that is not the last sign on the road. As we keep tracking through Bible history, we see that God did indeed scatter those early people. They did indeed form nations, but their rebellion continued. That's the backdrop for God's incredible promise that we're looking at today. The nations rejected God's commands and abandoned his ways, yet God promised to bless them. Incredible. God spoke to Abram, later Abraham, maybe better known by that name. This is what he said. Gabby read it for for us moments ago. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the very beginning of the nation of Israel. In Bible history, that's a big deal. It tracks throughout scripture. This is the very beginning of it. It's God's promise to take one man and from him build a nation. And at first glance, it might look like God is choosing to bless one nation, one man and the nation that would arise from his descendants, and therein reject and exclude all the other nations from his blessing. But if we look closely, that is not what's happening in this scripture or in this promise. Now, God told Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless your name and make your name great. 
He chose to bless one man in the, nations that, the nation that his descendants would build. Why? Well, there's this joining phrase, so that. God tells us the reason that he is making the decisions that he made, why he's doing what he's doing. And we're going to see this so that several times, all right? I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that, God says, you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God purposes to use one to bless all. That is a thinly veiled foreshadowing of Jesus, isn't it? Like, that's another sermon, so I can't dwell there today. But God using one to bless all is just like, Jesus is coming. and He's going to be that guy forever. But right now, it's Abram, and he's going to use him and his nation to bless all nations. And we know that this is pointing to Jesus because later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, this great missionary church planter, is a Jewish man. He's an Israelite. And yet he goes back to this very promise to justify his mission to the nations. He calls them the Gentiles. That was a word in Paul's day that just meant people who aren't Israelites. And so Paul, this great missionary, says, even though I am one of the descendants of Abraham by blood, my mission is to the nations. Why? Well, we read it in Galatians chapter 3. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel. Mm, the good news of God. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. God chose one to bless all. God blessing Abraham and his nation uh, uh, was the purpose behind that was that God would bless all all nations. Are you tracking with me? God from the very beginning intended for his glory to cover the earth and that continues through uh, biblical history. Okay, next sign on the road. We see God actually accomplishes this and Abraham's descendants do indeed become a nation and we see God working through those people to bless the nations. So now uh, Abraham's family is in Egypt. They've become a great nation but they are in, uh, enslaved to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and God determines to set his people free by sending plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt and before the seventh plague, the plague of hail, God sends a message to Pharaoh through Moses. And this is what he said. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that, right? There's our words. My name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So why did God send plagues on Egypt? Why did God set his people free from Egypt to go back to the promised land? Why did God do that? Why did God raise up Pharaoh? So that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. This wasn't a vindictive move by an unreasonable God who felt threatened by Pharaoh's re rebellion. No, God did this so that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. When God set his people free, it was a move uh, to show that God's power sets people free while Pharaoh's power enslaves them. 
God's power blesses his people while Pharaoh's power extorts people. God's power on display says, do not put your hope in the fallible human rulers of this world. Instead, hope in the God who holds the whole world in his hand. Exodus is a story of mission. So we keep tracking through the Bible. Next sign that we see, God's people left Egypt and God gives them the law. And we can often get confused, why is God a lawgiver? Like, is he just setting us up to fail? Why would God give laws and expect us to follow them, especially laws that we can't keep on our own? Why does God do that? Well, the Bible is clear. God wants us to enjoy his grace and extend his glory to the nations. He even tells us that when he's giving the law. Look at how Moses explains uh, the command to obey God's law. This is from Deuteronomy. He says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. That's Outside nations who are looking in, people who don't know God's laws and statutes and rules yet. This will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. He says, why, why do we obey the law? So that other people will look in and see how righteous and good our God is, how near he is to his people. So obedience to God works both for our good and his glory. Are you tracking with me? Like as we talk through our core values, I just have to sidestep out of out to up here for a minute. We talk about spiritual formation as God working in us, forming us into his likeness, making us more like him. Up is spiritual formation where we put off of our sin and put on God's righteousness by the power of his spirit. Up is not all about us. Like, that's what we see here in Deuteronomy. Yes, it works for our good. When we reject sin, we actually set down the ways of the world and the baggage that goes along with it, and we get to experience joy in God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and freedom from all that pain and baggage. It, it is about us, but it's not just about us. Actually, obeying God and being made into his likeness is also about mission. It's about being the kind of people who love each other deeply enough, who reflect God's glory and bear his image closely enough that the world looks on and says, I want to follow a God like that. I want to be part of a kingdom like that. I want to know grace like that. Up is about mission because God is about mission. Okay, Deuteronomy, the law. We got to go to the next sign. All right, later. 
After they've left Egypt, they've got the law, they're making their way back to the promised land where God initially promised Abram he would build him into a nation. So God's got this land, he brings the people back to the land and they're at the border, which happens to be the Jordan River, a very difficult river to cross. He brings them up and he stops the river in its tracks so that the people can cross into the promised land on dry ground. And as they cross that stopped up river, River, each of the tribes picks up a stone from the riverbed, like a smooth stone that's been uh, beaten on and turned and smoothed out by the water. They pick up a riverbed stone and carry it a- across the river, out of the river, to the bank, and then they stack those 12 stones into a monument on the other side. And uh, uh, here's what the Bible says about that. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that, why did God do these things? Why build the monument? So that, All the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Why build a monument with the stones from the river? So that all the people who would ever see it would know that the hand of the Lord is mighty to save. So that all the earth would look on and see God did that. In fact, I just imagine that, that it's like a that monument is like a conversation piece at the front door to their country, their land, right? And so you see a, a passerby who doesn't know what's going on and they see this stack of smooth riverbed stones up on the bank of the river. And they, they didn't have heavy equipment back then to pull those things out they look at that stack of stones and they wonder how did those get there and maybe just maybe if they wondered that aloud somebody who was on the other side of the river would hear that somebody who knew the story and they would say I was hoping you would ask that actually that's exactly why we set up those stones God did that and I would love to tell you why I would love to tell you how he is a God that is mighty to save the monument of what God had, had done, his mighty works, is meant to inspire mission. Now, friends, we don't build up monuments of stone around here. But we do want to remember the mighty things that God has done. We want monuments in our memories that remind us of who God is and what he's done. That's why we often tell stories about what God's done, even in our short church life. Six years, God's done incredible things. It's why we have people, when they get baptized, share their testimonies. I don't know if, was it last week or the week last week? There were two testimonies of how God had changed real lives. It was the most powerful part of the whole morning for me. We do that so that we remember God's mighty hand. We celebrate what God is doing in the missions we support. Why? Because we want monuments of God's mighty movements to keep us on mission. How's that for a lot of M's in <laughs> one sentence? God's heart is for the nation's mission. It's all throughout scripture. All right, next sign. Kids, this is one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. I bet you know this one. You know the story of the little shepherd boy, David, who went and fought the mighty soldier Goliath with just a sling and some stones? 
Did you know that story is about mission? You ever connected that to mission? Well, the Bible does. Look at what David shouted as he walked toward Goliath. David's words. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. A little vicious for Family Sunday, but it's in God's word, okay? I just, I'm reading the Bible. So that, the next word, why did David go fight Goliath? Why did David trust a sling and a stone against a sword and a spear and a javelin and a shield against a giant warrior? Why did David do that? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. A little boy doesn't defeat a seasoned warrior. A sling and a rock doesn't defeat a sword and a spear and a javelin and a a shield and armor. No. Why did David go do this? To show that there's a Lord who fights for his people. He doesn't need all that other stuff. The Lord is on his side. So that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And so that all this assembly, the gathered people of God, who were shaken in their boots because of Goliath and his sword. So that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David reveals his heart here, does he not? Why did he face Goliath? He didn't do it out of obligation. He didn't do it because nobody else would answer the call. He didn't do it for his own glory. David fought because God had the nations in mind. And David got on board with that. He longed for the whole earth to know God's power and glory and for God's people to remember that's God's plan. He's going to bless all nations. And that blessing was going to come when all nations know God's power and love, and they determined to follow him. David versus Goliath is actually about mission. Okay, one more Old Testament one, all right? I love Old Testament history, so we're going to do one more, and then we'll go on. This is maybe one of my favorites. Um, After David defeats Goliath, David eventually dies. His son Solomon takes over as king. Solomon builds both a palace for the king and a palace for God. The palace for God was called the temple, okay? And as Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed. This is what he said, part of what he said. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake... For they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. I just love this. Solomon is praying, expecting that outsiders are going to come in because insiders go out. You see it? He expects God's people to do this. He goes on. When he, that foreigner, comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place. And do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. When when an outsider comes and prays to you in your temple, listen to those prayers and answer them. That's what Solomon's saying here. Why? Why answer the prayers of people who are not part of God's own people? In order that, or so that, 
All the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Not Abraham's name, not David's name, not Solomon's name. That house is the house that's called by the name of the God of all the earth. You've got the king over God's people praying over the palace dedicated to God in the capital city of God's nation. And who is on his heart? The nations. You know what this shows us? The temple was never meant to be God's headquarters of activity against the nations. It is not God's headquarters against the outsider and those who are not like his people. Instead, the temple was meant to be God's headquarters for his work for the nations, to draw the nations to him, to make a place for everyone across the earth among his people. The temple was and ought to be still today, the church, a missional place. You see God's heart for the nations. It threads throughout Bible history. And I could go on and on. I got to skip all the prophets, okay? Because we just don't have time. We'll be here all day. So I'm going to skip to the New Testament, all right? Um, After the temple was dedicated, shortly after, the people of God stray from him. And the nation falls and the temple is destroyed. And there's just a lot of evidence that sinful people could not display God's glory the way that he intended us to. Rather than being a light to the nations, they become like the nations. And so that's where the prophets step in. And they keep prophesying that that God has promised to bless the nations and he's not abandoning abandoning his promise. Um, Those prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to the New Testament, the gospel, and I want to show you the nations in Jesus' life. All right? It begins at his birth. An angel was sent to announce Jesus' birth, and these were his words. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus' birth is good news for who? All people. Jesus came to do what Adam and Eve and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon and all the rest of his people could not do without Jesus. Jesus came to bring the joy of the Lord to all peoples over all the earth. That means Jesus coming down is central to our down core value right? It's God coming down to us to be among us and save us from our sins. It's the climax of God's work coming down to his people. And it's the core of our core value out. Jesus came for all people. The gospel is not only for some, it is for all. Because Jesus came down for everyone, we who know that gospel good news ought to be compelled in all of the best ways to go share that gospel good news with everyone Jesus came so that they would know it. You tracking? So uh, Jesus who came for all peoples, shows us just how serious he is about this mission. Um, On the way to the cross, like the last uh, weeks of Jesus' life, he enters Jerusalem and he goes into the temple and he sees uh, something happening in the temple 
that he knew should not be happening. Now, there's an outer court in the temple complex, and that is the only part of the temple that um, non-Jewish people could enter into. So there's a place for the nations at the temple of God, at his headquarters for the whole world. And when Jesus walks in there, rather than seeing the nations worshiping God, he sees God's own people have created a mall of sorts where they're buying and selling. Rather than using that space to take the gospel to the, to the nations, they're using that space to take money from the nations and each other. And Jesus just wouldn't have it. So he uh, drives out the people who are buying and selling, and these are his words. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So this temple that's supposed to be a place for people from all nations to pray and find hope in God uh, is now filled up with activity that just prevents that from happening. And Jesus wouldn't have it. And so, church, I just want to say, if you know the gospel, what we do here matters. When, we, when, when the people of God in Jesus' day made the temple activity all about themselves, Jesus was not okay with it. And friends, when we make church, when we make worship, when we make our walk with the Lord all about us, Jesus won't have that either. He cleared a place in the temple for the nations to come and find him. Oh, may he always make space. May we always make space for the nations to find Jesus among us. Amen? You with me? Jesus takes this seriously. Okay. Uh, let me share with you just a few of the ways that Jesus actually spoke. At the very end of his life, he spoke his passion for all peoples, all nations, all the earth. He's on mission to the very end. Listen to a few statements Jesus made. Number one, Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this age that we're in right now, like Jesus has ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit's at work in the church and we're waiting for him to return. When does this age end? When the gospel has been preached to all nations. That's when we get to say mission accomplished. Until that day, we got work to do. We got a mission to be on with Jesus. Number one, gospel of the kingdom proclaimed throughout the whole world, a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. Number two, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is after Jesus has died and rose again. He's speaking to his disciples. This is the last thing he says to them. What does he say? Go make disciples of all nations. What does that look like? Well, as Jesus goes on, it's not just preaching on every street corner. It's baptizing people who've given their lives to claim the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over themselves. That's who I am. I am theirs. It's teaching those people to obey all that he has commanded them. It's saying, look, this isn't just a get out of hell free card. This is a new life. This is change from the inside out. This is part of a new family and on a new mission. We're teaching them to obey. We're making disciples of all nations. 
So the end will come when all nations have heard. We are to be about the business of making disciples of all nations. And Jesus says one more thing. This is from Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now to me, this one's really cool. Because Jesus told his people they would be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Where do we fit in that paradigm? We are the end of the earth. We are the other side of the globe from Jerusalem, which means what Jesus said would happen is happening. We are here because God keeps his promises. We are worshiping him this morning because he has a heart for missions. We are part of this story. And so we can see that the the heart of God is the mission of God, that people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue would worship him. And the church has taken that mission seriously ever since. Um, Man, I was going to read from Romans. I think I've already gone too long. So there's lots of other places, okay, that we can see this in Scripture. Let me just give you a handful of ways that you can be part of this story. What Jesus is doing among us, uh, we can be caught up in it. We can own the mission of God as followers of God. How do we do that? We'll start with the biggest steps, uh, biggest jumps to the smallest steps. Number one, uh, you might be called to go to the ends of the earth. Can I just say that? You might be called to go to the ends of the earth. Churches throughout history have had a certain number of people that God sets aside and sends out. And our church is no different. We fully expect that while we love all of you, we will not keep all of you. God will set aside some here for the nations. And if you feel that call, if as you hear this heart of God and see it throughout scripture, then can I invite you, would you take a step toward that? That can look like a lot of different things. Um, Maybe it means you're actually going to go on a mission trip, and that's the first step. We've got one coming up next summer for um, juniors and seniors in high school to go to Paraguay. We're going to do a VBS for uh, a church plant there. They've got a two-week school break, um, and they've got like 300 kids that show up to this tiny little church plant because their parents are all still at work. And so we get to do a VBS and tell all these kids who don't know Jesus about who Jesus is. If you want to go share the gospel, this is an incredible way to do it. So juniors and seniors in high school, I would invite you, sign up, let's go. And parents, we need chaperones. And so if you want to be part of that and see what it's like, sign up, let's go. All right, this is going to be awesome. That's July 2023. We'll also have several trips to Rwanda coming up in 2023. We would love to get you a first step toward the ends of the earth. Um, Let's go. Number two, maybe you don't have to go out of the country. Maybe you just go out of the city. We're doing a thing called Prayer Night Multiplied. The last time we did this, um, well, two times ago, um, we had uh, uh, Prayer Night Multiplied in Neola, one in Glenwood, and one in West Council Bluffs. And you know what came of that? A city group formed in Neola and one in Glenwood and one in West Council Bluffs. And you know what came of that? 
The one in Neola partnered with the church in Minden to reach uh, the people in that region with the gospel. Amen. They left our church, but they joined another church so they could spread the gospel in their neighborhood. Praise God. The one in Glenwood helped plant City Light Southwest Iowa. They left our church to be on mission in their part of the world. Amen. We want that. And the one in West Council Bluffs left our church to plant a church in West Council Bluffs. And there's a church over there. And we say yes and amen. This feels like the book of Acts, like the Apostle Paul from town to town. We're just praying that the gospel would take root and then flourish and a new church would exist there because we get to follow God in his mission. Prayer night multiplied. Next week, we're going to Underwood to pray, all right? Say yes. Let's go to the next town. Let's pray. Let's take the gospel town to town, city to city. Okay, I got to go on. Last one. Maybe you don't go out of country. Maybe you don't go out of the city. Maybe you just go across your neighborhood. Friends, we do city groups around here, not just for in. We love in. We love community. We love meal trains for people who are sick or in need. We love um, sharpening one another with scripture. But we also love not expecting all of you to do mission on your own. When you think, man, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what step to take. I don't know what part I can play. Can I just say, if you join a city group, you will have a family to do mission with in your neighborhood. You'll get to do it together. And man, that, that looks like serving those in need in our city. It looks like reaching dark parts of our city with the light of Jesus Christ. You don't have to leave the country. You don't have to leave the city. You can just join a city group and do it in your own backyard. The mission of God is for all of God's people. Our core values are down, up, in, and out. We really do want them to shape who we are, and what we do. So uh, that's enough. That was a fast (laughs) flyover. Let's pray and thank God for his heart for missions. Awesome God, you are good. And I feel like I've done an injustice to your word by giving only a shallow overview of your heart for all nations. Oh God, would you do justice in our hearts for that mission? God, I don't know what kind of work you're doing this morning in which heart right now, but God, I do know that you have called your people into mission from the beginning, and it will continue until people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue have bowed the knee to worship you as king. And one day, the nations will bring their glory to worship you. What you first have shared with them, they will give back to you. God, we long for that day. Until it comes, would you use even us to be your image bearers on the highest mountaintops and the lowest valleys, from the most densely populated cities to the most remote villages, from countries where we've never been to our neighbors who we see every day. God, would you stir in us a heart for mission? Would our passion match your passion for all peoples? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.